take our Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1 as we continue this Wednesday night series. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Everybody had a good day today, and uh, First Thessalonians has already been a, a fun study for me. I've really enjoyed studying it and reading it and looking at it quite a bit. And one of the words that we're going to discuss tonight is a pretty strong word that a lot of times people misunderstand. And sometimes in this particular context tonight, we're going to have a hard time wrapping our mind around something <clears throat> because we are so governed by the concept of time. And I think you'll understand where we're all going with it uh, by the time we are finished. I appreciate GLS for interpreting. Of course, Bethy for watching online, and uh, that's a blessing. <coughs> but this time, when she, once we're done with the message, she'll be able to step on down and we can go to the question and answer session. Tonight will be prayer requests and pray, and uh, so we'll go from there, all right? Look at First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 with me here in the Bible. First chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Last week we discussed verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. And, and it was, Miss Nikki even pointed out after church last Wednesday night, I, maybe I didn't emphasize it enough or put them together, didn't even really click with me, but... 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the greatest of these is faith, or the, great, the three greatest things are faith, hope, charity. The greatest of these is charity. And of course, charity is interchangeable with the word love in the New Testament. Charity is actually a, in the older English days, charity was the word they used for love. Can you imagine saying, I charity you? That, just, that sounds kind of weird. But, but charity and love um, are interchangeable in the New Testament. All right, but we talked about that last week. We talked about the balance of this church. Now look at verse 4. Verse 4 is, is, is an interesting verse. The Bible says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, look at the next four words. Let's read it together. Ready? Your election of God. Or look at your neighbor and say those four words. Go ahead. Look at your neighbor and say, Your election of God. All right. Let's go and say it again. Ready? Your election of God. All right. Then the Bible says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now, we're going to look at the word election tonight. The word election in this context here as we go through 1 Thessalonians. Um, the word election, okay, this is an election year. So here we go, church. Are we ready for it? Another wonderful year of politics, elections, and all that stuff. And you know we're already going forward when the Iowa caucus already happened this week. Donald Trump won it pretty handily, and, you know, I guess some, some have been dropping out of the race. They start to figure out that they're not going to have any chance of winning, and there's still some hanging on. And what a politician does, we understand this, is they campaign. All right? We hear that phrase, campaign. They're constantly raising money for their campaign. And what is a campaign? Really, when you think, all, when it's all said and done, here's what a campaign is. These politicians want to get before as many people as possible, whether it's through town halls, big conventions, big meetings, door-to-door, -door, and they want you to vote for them. That's it. That's the campaign. They're going to try to do everything they can to get your vote. They want you to vote for them. They're going to tell you what they believe, or at least, at least, 
They're going to tell you what you want them to believe. And then once they get into D.C., they change it all, right? Very few. It seems like they stick the same. But the point is they campaign and they campaign and they campaign. As I was looking through this and thinking about this, I thought about the difference between man-made religion and genuine, born-again, salvation Christianity. Man-made religion, I feel like you consistently and constantly have to campaign. You feel like you have to campaign and campaign and campaign for God's approval. But can I say to you, after my 18 years of experience of, of hoping I was going to get to heaven, campaigning for God to do something in my life, campaigning by baptisms, campaigning by church membership, campaigning, campaigning, campaigning. Finally, somebody preached the Bible to me, and I heard for the first time, not necessarily up here, but here in my heart, that Jesus Christ loved me, and he chose me. He picked me. He picked me. And so here's where it gets a little shady, because there are people out there that actually believe, doctrinally, they, they base a lot of their doctrines on this, that God hand-selects people to go to heaven and does not choose everybody to go to heaven, and there are those that go to hell. A very prominent doctrine is on that. Uh, many call it Calvinism. There are different degrees of it, Calvinism, hyper-Calvinism. Um, people oftentimes ask me what I think about it. Well, it's very simple to me. I'll just look at the very name, Calvinism. If something's patterned after man, I'm immediately not interested in it. I'm a biblicist. I'm a Bible believer. I, I want to believe what the Bible says. All right. And uh, But it's a very popular thing. And they use verses like this. They use uh, words like this. So here's the deal. The Bible says consistently he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he came, that he gave his only begotten son that whoosh believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How about this? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long suffering toward us and not willing that any should perish, but that how many should come to repentance? All should come to repentance. And I, I think it's, to me, it would be, uh, it's mind-boggling to think that God would choose one lump of clay better over another lump of clay. And as I often ask my friends that believe that way, what are you going to do if God doesn't choose your children? And for some reason, they always have the answer that God has cho chosen their children for sure. So it's, it's an odd doctrine. It's a wacky doctrine. It's really an excuse to not have to be soul winning. It, it takes accountability of being a witness and soul winning off the plate. And... <clears throat> If there's those watching me and saying this, I'm not being mean or ugly here, but they immediately begin to call me a shallow preacher. And they'll, 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 I've gotten many, many letters through the years from the Calvinist crowd. Look, if, if you're listening, you're going to write me a letter, I'm just going to throw in the garbage can. So save your pen and ink, all right? Um, I've heard it for so many years. But at the same time, God does use the word election here. So let's not just brush over it like many do. Sometimes people just, oh, just brush over it. God did choose the word election. And here's what God's trying to teach us here. God wants you to understand that you don't have to campaign for his love. You don't have to campaign for his approval. You don't have to campaign for his attention. He elected you. He elected you. Now, how do we understand that? How do we understand it? So the Bible says here, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now, let's, let's read this, this statement here. I'm going to read this to you, and I want you to think about and listen to what we're saying here. God makes choices, all right? So do we. The Holy Spirit makes perfectly clear that we uh, that, that we are divine election, that the divine election is based solely on God's foreknowledge. You can see that reference in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Our lives are conditioned by the fact that we live in a space, time, and matter universe. Listen, this gets real good right here. We um, express our mode of being in three tenses of time. I was, I am, and I will be. Watch this now. God is not thus confined. 
He lives and moves, and his being is eternity, and so he lives, moves, and his being is in eternity. He rather expresses his mode of being, watch this, however, as existing in the eternal present tense. Hence, you've heard me say this many times, he is the I am, Exodus 3.14. When child, Jesus maintained his deity in the same uh, concept when he said before Abraham was, I am, in John 8, 57, 59, 59. So God gathers all time into the present tense, thus the exact moment we choose Christ, look at this, is the same moment God chooses us. Isn't that a beautiful statement? So as far as God is concerned, the two acts are simultaneous. So God doesn't have to so, for example, your dad or your grandfather, my father's in heaven now. He chose salvation. He chose God and got saved many, many years ago. But in that moment, God was in that moment of his salvation. Brother Carlisle's here tonight. He always, he always says, I love it when I say, tell me where you got saved. He always says, in the presence of God. That's a great answer because that is how you get saved. You can't get saved without God being present. God is the one that is a saving. I can't save you. You can't save you. We can't save each other. The Pope can't save you. A priest can't save you. A pastor, a preacher, a minister. Nobody can save you in that sense, all right? So it says, we cannot say that God has endowed us with a will, which is what we teach, and then say, oops, I'm sorry, and then say that we cannot exercise our will in relation to our decision for Christ. God created people, not puppets, and people have wills of their own, all right? So ultimately, in every man's life, they have to realize that salvation comes to this realization that Jesus Christ has already proven his desire to elect or select you and me because of his finished work on the cross. He died on the cross and shed his blood. Three days later, he lived again. So because of his sacrifice, you and I don't have to campaign for his attention or campaign for his love or campaign for his forgiveness or campaign for his, his, his choosing us. We don't have to campaign for that. Jesus Christ chose you. Now think about that for a second, okay? The power of choice, right? All of us in this room have made some very important choices in our lives. Some even have made the most important choice of all. What, are, what is one of the most important choices you make in your life? Is the choice to marry somebody, right? How many of you are sitting next to your husband or your wife tonight? Raise your hand, all right? Wonderful. All right, Brother Tim, Miss Deborah, I don't know if you know this, but you both are married. So I just want to make sure you're awake, Brother Tim. All right, Brother Tim, you chose Miss Deborah, didn't you? Yes. And she chose you. <laughs> I noticed he answered for her, all right? Brother Fouch, you chose Mrs. Fouch, didn't you? And Mrs. Fouch chose you. <laughs> A little delay. His prayer was so awesome that he redeemed himself, Mrs. Fouch. How many times, did you, how many days in a row did you laugh at the last Wednesday night? It was, it was probably the whole, you're probably still laughing about it, right? <laughs> yeah, all right? I remember when I asked my wife to marry me, she hyperventilated for about two minutes. Maybe not that long. And I was waiting for the yes. I'm like, why is she hyperventilating? But she finally said yes. It was a serious, serious decision. She's regretted it ever since, but at least she said yes that night. We got married. All right, so as I'm looking around this room, you married couples made a powerful choice. You chose the person that you're going to marry. You chose it. Uh, there's no arranged marriages, I think, in this room, right? There are That it concept is around the world. We know that other cultures practice that. But God doesn't, God doesn't do that. God chooses you, and then God gives you... The opportunity to choose him. We are free will beings. And people sometimes will ask me that. When people are trying to challenge the Bible, 
Well, if God knew Eve was going to eat of the fruit of the tree and Adam was going to eat of the fruit of the tree, why did he put that tree there? Because God gives us free will. Nobody made you come to church tonight, right? Well, maybe your spouse did, but no. God did not make you come to church. Let me rephrase that. God doesn't make you do it. God's not making me preach tonight. I'm telling you, there's been many times I've not felt like preaching, right? Maybe I was a little sick or maybe I was just tired or, you know, life, life sometimes you just don't feel like serving the Lord. That's real talk, right? God doesn't make you do it, but sometimes you have to push forward and you choose to do it out of duty or because you love him. Then there's other times you just love to do it. You love serving God and you just can't wait to jump at the opportunity. But all in all, it comes down to that choice and it all started at salvation. So for a moment tonight, I want you to think about that thought, all right? We're going to come back to 1 Thessalonians. Go to John 14 with me. As we go to John 14, I want you to think about that, this thought that God chose you. All right, now, if you uh, didn't go to public school in your life, and I know we have some homeschoolers in here, you won't understand this, but those of you that were public school kids, we all know how this feels when recess breaks out, and it can be fourth or fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere in there, and all the boys run down to the basketball court, and they start picking up basketball teams. Usually you have two captains, right? And the, they're usually the two best players. And then you line up there as boys, uh, and they, they pick, each, they pick the, the best players they want for their team for that recess time, right? How many of you, uh, don't raise your hand, but how many of you were always worried because you were like the last one picked, all right? Don't, don't raise your hand, all right? We don't want to embarrass you tonight. But there's this, <laughs> Piper is unashamedly raising his hand. Look, look, I'm going to give the nerds some love tonight. I preach all the time at camps and conferences. And at teen camps all the time, I'll say, all right, where's the athletes at? Where's the basketball stars and the football stars? And they stand up and kind of do this shoulder thing, trying to get the girls to look at them. And, and they're all like, oh, these are all the athletes. Sit down, athletes. And where are all the nerds at? And boy, as soon as I say that, you can just see them over the crowd. I'm almost scared to stand up. Oh, you just had the athletes stand up. What's he going to do, make fun of us? Because everybody makes fun of the nerds, right? You know, and, and uh, all of a sudden they stand up. And I'll be like, you guys are the nerds. Be proud of these athletes. Look at these guys. Look at these guys. Someday you'll call them boss. So I give the nerds a shot, and you should see the face of the nerds. You're like, wow, somebody finally gave us some love. Elon Musk is probably a nerd. I don't think he's ever dunked a basketball in his life, but he's the wealthiest man on the planet. I read something one time that said, Bill Gates makes more money in one month than Michael Jordan made in his whole lifetime. Game over, nerd wins, all right? So, so, so maybe the nerds didn't get picked first on the basketball court, but we all know how that feels. I can remember we moved so much that I would have to prove myself at first sometimes. I'd sit there and they'd look at me and say, oh, that little husky. Husky was the word back in the day. How many of y'all remember the word husky? Husky jeans, husky shirts. Now, I don't know what they do. They have slim, loose fitting, whatever. They want to offend people. Husky was a good word. I like that. My brother used to say husky means fat boy. And then I would just thump him and make him say husky means strong boy. And he usually submitted. But because I was huskier than him. All right, the husky usually win, all right? But, the, but I would be husky, and I was a white boy, and the boys would be like, ah, oh, he can't play basketball. But then I would prove to them that I was somewhat decent, and the next recess, they would pick me first, right? But there's always that awkward feeling, especially when you're like the last two, and you know they're going to pick you, and finally you're the very last one to get picked. It's always an awkward feeling. Listen, God's not like that. God's not like that. You see, that, that, that same mentality that hits us in the schoolyard playground still follows us into our 30s and 40s and 50s because we honestly think that God has favorites. We think that because, well, this guy's a preacher or, or this lady can sing so good or, or that person just seems like they're an incredible saint that God's going to choose them. But God is not 
a respecter of what? He's not. He's never been a respecter of persons. And so you, everybody in this room, you were picked by God. And it's not like you all lined up and God said, I'm going to pick you first and you first and you first and first. Now, we understand the call of God on different people is a separate issue. But when it comes to salvation and his desired relationship, <coughs> he made Adam and Adam wasn't satisfied. God was very satisfied. So he gave him Eve and then they both began to, to grow in their relationship. And then they chose to reject. They chose. They made the cho choice to reject God. And God immediately began to pursue them again. God went after them in the cool of the day. God looked for them. God sought them out. Even though he knew what he, they had done, he knew what, where they were at. But he wanted to seek them out. He wanted to confront them. He wanted to ask them the question. And finally he says, who told, who told thee that thou was naked? He didn't say, what made you think that way? Who? And that's a whole other message. And then Adam and Eve immediately, with their own plans, their own ideas, using the fig leaves, God finally then sacrifices animals, make aprons for them, and, and takes care of them, and immediately promises Jesus Christ. And here we are thousands of years later, and God's still choosing. He's waiting for you to choose him. And once you choose him, it's instantaneous, it's simultaneous. God's not limited by any time frame. He will come. He saved my dad. I think it was in 1977 when I was two years old. He saved my dad, just like he saved me in 1994, just like he saved you whenever you were saved. It doesn't matter where you were. It doesn't matter where you were living. It doesn't matter which age you were. When you made the decision and realized that Jesus Christ was your personal Savior and you trusted him as your Savior, God elected you. You were elected by God. There was no need for campaign. You didn't have to come to the cross with presents and gifts. You didn't have to come to the foot of the cross with a, with a holy life. You didn't have to come to the foot of the cross having lived in such a spiritual fashion that you would think that maybe we could impress God. Now, after salvation, there's nothing wrong with desiring to please God and, and trying to live for him. But I'm simply saying with salvation. And Paul is telling the church here at Thessalonica, remember, we said it last week, they were suffering. They had some persecution. Maybe one of the more persecuted churches of the epistles in those days. And that's why God gave them the doctrine. Praise the Lord for that. All right. So look at John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Look at this now. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He's coming, church. And watch the next phrase. We, we, we really love that part, especially when it comes to rapture. But watch what Jesus says. And receive you unto who? Myself. Yeah, I want you, he says. I want you. I want every one of you. I want every kid that's in that building. I want everybody in the discipleship class right now. I want you. He wants everybody. Everybody. He wants you. Beautiful. All right, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll give you two quick statements and then we'll be done, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So as we said, we are in a campaign year, an election year. We will all in November vote. And then, who knows, right? But that's the blessing tonight. Because I have elected God and God has elected me and we are, I'm saved and I'm with God and I have a relationship with him. My, my, whole, my whole being and my whole uh, hope is not, is not, I don't invest that in Washington, D.C. I'm not worried about what goes on in there. My king is on his throne. And he's never going to be knocked off his throne. And that king, who's the king of kings and lord of lords, has chosen me. And he knows my name and he knows your name. 
and he knows exactly what you're going through right now, and he knows exactly how you feel right now, and he knows about your ups and your downs, and he knows about your burdens and the blessings. He knows about everything about you, and he chooses you every single day. To me, it's another beautiful thing that proves eternal security, too, because when God chooses you one time, he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't say, well, you've got to continue to campaign to keep in my office. No. He elected you at election. It's a one-time singular thing. When you got saved, you got born again. He saved you in that instantaneous moment, simultaneously. You in that moment, in the great I am, came to that moment and saved your soul. He saved my soul. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to continue to campaign. If you did not have to campaign for salvation, pray tell me why we'd have to campaign to keep the salvation. My salvation is not dependent upon me. It is dependent upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. I oftentimes get asked by people, how can you believe in eternal security? I mean, don't you think you, 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 you sin and you can fail? I said, yeah, and I agree. I would lose my salvation every day if salvation was dependent upon me. I got good news for everybody tonight. Salvation is not dependent upon me or you. It's dependent upon Jesus Christ. He chose you. He chose me. Number one, religion insists you campaign. Constantly insist that you campaign. You must campaign and campaign and campaign and campaign. Here it is. Religion says do, 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 and it's a bunch of doo-doo. All religion is is a bunch of doo-doo, 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 do. Jesus Christ says done. Done. You don't have to do anything for salvation. It is finished. Done. <laughs> Hallelujah. There are days where I don't feel like God should want to have anything to do with me. And yet God reminds you all the time, I love you, son. That's why the Bible says to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We couldn't become power, sons of God without him. He gave us the power to become the sons of God. All right, so number one, religion insists you campaign and campaign and campaign. Do, 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 do. Jesus says done. Number two, relationships are about choosing. In this room, I look, I've been passing this church a long time, and I know some people in this room are closer to some people than they are other people, right? And for the most part, thank God this church has good unity, and we all get along with each other, right? Surely we get on each other's nerves. I know that I never get on y'all's nerves, ever, ever, ever. There's one thing you guys do love about me is I don't preach long. All right. Somebody keeps wanting me to preach longer. We've had some fun conversations about this, right? No, no, I'm, I'm going to preach the way I'm supposed to preach, right? But the fact is we do. We make choices even in that regard, right? Some people we're acquaintances with. Some people we're close to. Some people we're friends with. Some people we're literally best friends with. Some people we can't imagine living without, right? Listen, don't miss this truth, okay? Look, okay, look at this. Look at verse 4. All right, I'm going to close with this thought. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now watch this. For, your, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So what does it boil down to, okay? Here's, here's the deal. God has elected you. We've established that. I'm, I'm emphasizing that tonight. And when you got saved, you chose him. But, but here's where it gets a little interesting. 
after salvation, God is willing to be your best friend. Sometimes God is just our acquaintance, friend, partner. But is he really our best friend or is he somebody we can't imagine living without? That's the challenge there. Election should be the beginning of our relationship. After election, there comes a selection, selection. And we get to choose where we are with him. And so many times Christians miss out on one of the sweetest treasures the Bible teaches us. And that is to be known as a friend of God. God will be your friend. The question is, will we be his friend? It makes sense when you hear me say this. My best friend in my life is who? Go ahead, take a guess. Who's my best friend in this life, humanly speaking? Who? Janelle, that's exactly right. My wife is my best friend. She knows everything, my, my darkest secrets, my biggest dreams, my failures. She knows everything about me. And I, and I love her. She's my best friend. We, we are, I cannot imagine life without her, right? We make that statement, and we understand that. Many of you feel that way about your spouse. And there's times you also want to strangle your spouse. There's times you want to take that pillow and put it over their face until they stop moving. Have you ever felt that way about your spouse? We have newlyweds here. I don't think they feel that way. It's like that one preacher one time who was celebrating 50 years of marriage. They said, have you, did you, in all your years of marriage, did you ever think about, by the way, Brilla, what, you cleaned a house this week for a lady and a couple that's been married 73 years in Jefferson City. Man, they ought to be on the front page of the newspaper, man. 73 years. How old are they again, Brilla? 94, like in that 94 range, 73 years of marriage. But he asked the preacher, hey, have you ever thought about divorce? He says, no, never. Never one time did I ever think about divorce. Murder many times, but not divorce. And there will be times when you will. My wife, I'm sure, has wanted to strangle me, right? They, there will be feelings like that. We'll never feel like that with God. And you would think God would feel that way with us, but he doesn't. He loves you in the moment, in the moment. You see, that's the truth that we got to love and appreciate tonight. In your relationship with God, you select, you get to select where you want to be in that relationship. Because God is not going to force you to be his best friend. God's not going to force you to fall on wherever that scale is of acquaintance, crutch. Some people use that sometimes. God's only crutch to some people, right? Crutch, acquaintance, eh, casual friend to friend, to best friend to intimate friend to I can't imagine life without him. Where do we fall on that scale? God's willing to meet you wherever you choose him in that moment. In that moment. So tonight, church, remember, as we move forward, Paul tells the church of Thessalonica in the first four verses, I want all of you to know that here, the reading of this epistle, God elected you. And here we are 2,000 years later at Bible Baptist Church in Jefferson City, Missouri on a Wednesday night. She's interpreting for the deaf over here, Bill. Here we are in church on a Wednesday night. <clears throat> Guess what? I have the same message Paul told the church of Thessalonica. Many, all those brothers and sisters are in heaven with Paul, celebrating, praising Jesus, and I have the same message to tell you tonight. Here it is. You ready for this? God chose you. God elected you. What a blessing. What a blessing. Had your bad eyes are closed. Thank you for listening to the word tonight.